Well, let's pray together and then let's uh, let's get into this word. I don't have a lot of verses tonight because I didn't want to go uh, too far. So, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to teach your word. And uh, I just pray that you will open our minds and open our hearts and uh, help us to pay attention to you and to um, allow your word to penetrate our hearts. Uh, sometimes we just get too used to uh, things and we just kind of let it skip over the surface rather than penetrating. Because you promised if your word goes forth that it will accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish, just like the rain coming down out of the sky. So I pray that that will be the case uh, this evening. And so uh, just ask that uh, we will be attentive and that you will speak and uh, that we will be changed as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take a look at this over here. So uh, we're... We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, where we've been. 1 Peter chapter 3. Yep, 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we've been for a while. Um, and we're going to be in verse 13, but I'm going to go all the way up to verse 8 here um, to kind of pick up where we've been. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And remember, all of those verses from verse 10 through 12, from the point where he says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, all the way down to where he just said, but the face of the Lord against those who do evil is from Psalm 34. It's a direct quotation. Now, verse 13, which is where we'll be tonight. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So. Um, that's where I will, I'll stop there. Um, and then we're going to go back and take a look at this. Um, so he starts off by saying, uh, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? All right. So the question is, what are you zealous for? Well, what does zealous even mean, by the way? That's what I was going to ask you. What does that word mean? Okay, so let's think about let's think about the word zeal. What does it mean to have zeal? A passion, maybe. A passion that would be a good that would be a good synonym. Um, enthusiasm, right? Um, what energizes you? You know, what are you? What are you? Um, excited? What gets you excited? What would what would get you out of bed in the morning, basically, right? So, um, you know, we're told to be zealous for good deeds. So that means that we're not just 
passionate about what concerns self. And that's where most people are. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, if, if I get, you know, Oh, another stimulus check come in the mail. Yay. You know, or, um, Oh, I got a promotion at my job or, you know, you know, my kid just won an award or, you know, who knows. All right. These are not bad things, but the point is there's, I think many of us are so self-centered and self-referential that we just really don't even know how to live any other way. Everything has to, has to be about me. So if I'm interested in your life, it's because you're helping me in some way, or I like you because something about you is, you know, helpful or healthy. I've noticed this. I mean, I don't really work with teenagers so much anymore. I mean, I have a, you know, okay relationship with our kids here. I just don't, you know, interact with them or anything like that. But what I noticed was I used to always pay attention to teenagers and, and, you know, I would meet them on their level. You know, I would, I wouldn't treat them like they were little kids. I wouldn't treat them like they were less than me. I would, you know, meet them on their level and, you know, treat them, treat them like an equal pretty much. Um, even though, you know, with these last, with this last group of kids I was with, I always made them call me pastor, pastor D. And it's not because I have some big ego. It's because they need to recognize that I'm not their buddy, even though I'm, you know, getting on their level. Um, and that was something that perhaps I, I was remiss in doing when I dealt with teenagers as a youth minister, um, is, you know, I, I was respectable, but teenagers have a tendency to kind of use that, you know, on my level type yeah. of a thing in a, yeah, in a negative way. Sometimes they take advantage of that. So, um, but what I noticed was, and I'm just using teenagers as an example, this is, you know, anybody, but they're just, teenagers are just they're and kids too. They're just very, very self-centered. They just have a tendency to be, you know, this is why it's good to get them to do service projects and things like that, because there's just this very, you know, and this is all the way up into college. You know, I remember as college students, we were just all about me and, you know, I have a paper due and, you know, my classes and my study time and me, 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 you know, and what I think helps to break that when you get into a relationship and then, you know, you get married and then you have kids it's very hard to remain self-centered because there's so many other needs, but yet it's still possible. So what I noted with these teenagers was as long as I was focused on them then they were fine. But as soon as I started pointing out needs that they had, the areas that they needed to change, right. Or tried to get them to do some service. Well, they can do that for a short period of time, but they don't have a long attention span for those sort of things. So that was the test for them is when the attention is not all on you, when it's not all, Hey, we're going to go and do, you know, a, a six flags or a wet and wild or a pizza party or this, you know, now we're going to go and do a service project. Well, then you thin them out, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you suddenly find out, you know, what are we in this for? Okay. So the question is, again, what are you zealous for? What are you passionate about? Right. It's a good question to ask yourself. It's a good way to kind of help you gauge really who you are and who you live for. So he says, um, who's going to harm you if you're zealous for, for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Right. So 
on the whole, even worldly people have uh, a natural respect, if you will, for those that do good, for those that help others. And the era we're living in now is filled with a lot of people that, at least on the surface, seem to be very concerned about that, right? Now, when you get below the surface and you find out what they're doing, they're kind of like the aforementioned teenagers. Yeah. You know, they That's can do. They can do something for about an hour, you know, yeah. or, or they can get up and you know get on the news and yeah, and uh, you know the rights of this and that and the other and whatever. But what are you doing day in and day out? And we should change, and the government should do this. You do realize that the government is sponsored by you. <laughs> So, you know, you can do something. So what I want to say is, you know, you're, you're protesting saying this, but what are you doing in your personal life with the people that are in your life? How are you treating them? Are you, you know, initiating relationships with these people that you're so concerned about? Are you helping these people? What are you doing about this? On the whole, people are positive toward doing good. It's a good way to really win people over to your side. You show them that you're not a self-centered, fill in the adjective there, um, that uh, you do care about other people. And, you know, you may get the ear of that person for a while. They may, you know, "Mm, okay, you know, I can I can pay attention to you. But, you know, if you represent Jesus in our world, it's polarizing. And I mean, really represent Jesus. And I mean all sides. So there's there's the everybody has a Jesus they like, right? There's a certain image they have of Jesus that just fits them really, really well. And I think it's, you know, uh, we have all these different pictures. Well, there's one behind the curtain back there, but these different pictures of Jesus in here, you know, and Jesus in the wilderness over here and Jesus holding the man that, you know, has crucified him over there. And then that Akiane picture of the face of Jesus that, Amazing. That picture that hangs above the drum stand, drum stand, that girl painted that at age eight. That's an eight year old that painted that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? But we do this. We it's not just a a physical um, picture of Jesus that we're painting or, you know, representation that we're looking at. But we there are things about, you know, good that we just, we use Jesus as a label for that. Mm -hmm. But human good is not always God's definition of good. So this is why several weeks back when I talked about justice in relation to uh, the, the, you know, the racial division, um, I wanted also because God is talking about uh, justice throughout the Old Testament through the prophets and Jesus advocated for justice for the poor, James did, but he is equally concerned about righteousness. Oh, well, as long as I get to define that, right? Mm -hmm. And righteousness meaning self-righteousness. This is my, you know, definition, my morality, which is rather different from the biblical morality. So if I advocate biblical morality and biblical righteousness, then I immediately turn some people off. And well, Jesus wasn't that way. And he didn't say anything about this particular thing or that particular thing. And the reality is we just have to take it as it is, you know, 
And that was the beauty a couple of years ago of us just going all the way through the Bible. Um, honestly, there's plenty of things in the Bible that I just don't like, you know, this is just, you know, when you get into the old Testament law, there's some, some rough stuff there, yeah. you know, and it you know, goes to show that you know, God's dead serious about righteousness and, you know, living your life the way he intends for it to be lived. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. Right. So I don't get to just reinvent Jesus. So what I'm saying is that on the whole, if you're caring for people who are in need and you're being kind, then people are going to respond well to that. But when you start pressing in to these issues of justice and righteousness, eh, no, 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 no. Okay. Just depends on who you're talking to. So you got these folks over here that are, that are, you know, anti-immigrant and their focus is on illegal immigration, but there is a tendency just to be kind of anti-immigrant in many respects, build the wall and all this, you know, the scripture has a lot to say about the alien and the stranger. And that is to protect them and to advocate for them and to love them and to help them, not to alienate them, not to treat them like they're less than you because they're not, not to treat everyone like they're a criminal, right? Sure, there are criminals. There are criminals that take advantage of, of the border. There are criminals that have lived in this country their whole lives. So that's not the, the relevant point. Right. And then you got the other side. So that would be the quote unquote conservative side. And you got the, the other side that um, they really strongly advocate for what the Bible calls sexual immorality, plain and simple. Yeah. Now you can brand it LGBT, whatever you want, but in the end, it's, it's very plain. And I put this in, in every uh, wedding that I officiate and I just officiated um you guys, you guys might not know Emery, but you probably would know Ethie, who was kind of running the rock over there for a while. And she's come on and off uh, a few times. Um, but I just did their wedding last Saturday, uh, officiated their wedding. And um, typically I don't quote this first, but I went ahead and quoted this first because it's in keeping with what I say in weddings. Um, but Jesus said, uh, have you not heard that he who created them, that he created them from the beginning, created them male and female so that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Right there, we have succinctly Jesus affirming two genders, heterosexuality, marriage between a man and a woman, no divorce. We don't like any of that. We don't want to hear any of that. So you see, if you're really going to pursue Jesus, it's convicting to all of us. <laughs> and eventually what's going to happen is if you uphold those morals, you're going to make somebody mad at you. Well, yeah, but, and yeah, but, and yeah, but no, there's, you know, we all got a lot of big yeah, buts. Yeah. All right. The reality is God created human beings. And after Jesus said that, as a matter of fact, the disciples were taken back and man, he said that a man shouldn't get married. If it's like that, you know, if we can't get divorced when we need to, then we shouldn't get married. And Jesus didn't disagree. He said, well, he said, if someone should can receive that, then they should receive that. 
And then he went into talking about how there are those that have been made eunuchs by men, that there are those that have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God, you know, and that doesn't mean literal castration. The point is, you know, what we would call, you know, uh, being celibate. Okay. And from this as, as you know, this uh, idea of the gift of celibacy and so forth. But Jesus did say, you know, if you can receive that from the Lord, then you should receive that. From... None of these are things that people want to hear. People don't want to hear any of this, but I'm telling you, that's all Jesus. And so if you walk with Jesus and you talk Jesus and you follow Jesus and you preach and teach Jesus, you're going to make somebody mad. And they're going to blame it on you. Well, Jesus wouldn't say that. I just don't think, I just don't think, well, that's your problem. You just don't think. You just feel your way through everything and you're not reading the text. So what am I saying here? He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will suffer for righteousness sake if you uphold righteousness. Now, we think, uh, we think that we know what righteousness is, but I went ahead and brought up the lexical definition uh, here, okay, so there's a, there's a, there's a noun, dikaiosune, that means righteousness, but this could also be translated, uh, um, no, this is dikaiosune, I'm sorry, there's, the, the word is used again later, uh, for Christ also suffered once for all the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, or the just for the unjust, um, that is, uh, that's verse 18, which I don't think we're going to get that far. Um, but this is the, the Greek word dikaiosune. Um, so let me make sure that we're, you like that? You can, you can, you can make I like yourself, listening. I like listening to you. So you, you can make yourself sound really smart. So <laughs> this is, this is, uh, Bauer, uh, Arndt and Ginkrich. This is a, this is a really uh, well-respected lexicon. In the Greco-Roman tradi tradition, a dikaios person, a righteous person, is one who upholds the customs and norms of behavior, including especially public service that make for a well-ordered civilized society. So this is not just a Bible word, in other words. This was a word that was well understood in the Greco-Roman world, in the Greek and Roman world, Okay. So that was the that was the under the foundational culture, right? That they they were working in. Um, hospitality and the fear of God mark an upright person. Hmm. Right. A dikaios, a dikaios polites, that is a righteous city, uh, gives priority to the interest of. Uh, uh, the state such perspective opened a bridge to Greco Romans for under for the understanding of Jewish Christian perspectives. That is the description of, for instance, an ecclesiastical overseer. So order is a big part of righteousness. So when everybody just does, they it's my truth and your truth. Well, that's that's your morality. I mean, that's what you think. That's how you feel. I feel this way. That's how you feel. So we've kind of lost this shared perspective yeah. of righteousness. And the reason is because the underpinning of our society is not Greco-Roman, it's Judeo-Christian. And we have people who are actively not just ignoring that, but opposing it. 
not just turning away for something else, but coming up against that. It's not just a perspective. It is the underpinning of Western culture and society now. This is what happened. You know, Jesus took over in a different way. You know, he didn't have warriors that marched out with swords and, and spears and, you know, bows and arrows and so forth. I mean, he transformed people's hearts and minds. And then, you know, there was this huge vacuum of authority when the Roman empire fell and the Catholic church filled that vacuum. So for a thousand years, the Catholic church was the, the, the moral and civil authority in the world. All right. And so there's a lot of positive things that, uh, that result from that. And there were negative things that result from that because as soon as religion is seen as a means to power, then people will become religious, not because they want to be righteous, but because they want power. And you certainly saw that with, you know, popes that were, you know, by the time of the Renaissance, you had popes riding around in armor on horses as though they were, you know, some kind of reincarnation of Alexander the Great. You know, I want to say it was Pope Leo X that did that. Um, and, you know, there was there were just all kinds of abuses. And, but that's because that's what happens when uh, power is a part of being pious. Right. So uh, with that understanding, um, you will suffer for righteousness sake if you uphold this biblical righteousness, right? This 10 commandments righteousness, if you will, the holiness and righteousness that Jesus taught. Jesus said, I, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So for us, it's not just, oh, well, now I can lie and cheat and steal and whatever because I'm forgiven. No, Jesus said, now not only do you not murder, but you don't even get angry with your brother. You take steps back and say, this leads to that. Now you don't just, oh, well, I don't commit adultery. You know, sleep around a little bit here and there and, you know, <laughs> but I don't commit adultery. You know, get online and look at things that I shouldn't look at, you know. But that's I don't come at it. Jesus said, no. He said, if you look at a woman and he's talking to a bunch of men, if you look at a woman lustfully, then you've already committed the act in your heart. So he's saying, now we want to take some steps back and say, you need to control your, your thought life. You need to control your mind. It's not just a matter of the externals and what people see. It's a matter of what's going on on the inside. Right. That's us. That's the righteousness that we have to hold ourselves to. OK. So is it like. Like. You kind of lost me when you say all those words all ago. <laughs> but is it like we all sin and come short of the glory of God once in a while? We can trail off the... Well, cer 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 certainly people people fall short of the glory of God, but uh, that's not the standard. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. Mm -hmm. And without Christ, without his presence in us, the Holy Spirit in us, um, continuously speaking to our conscience and motivating us, then, you know, we're just going to trip over our own shoelaces all the time. The point is we're, we're not under the law anymore, which means that we don't have to be concerned about those penalties, yeah. but the standard of holiness is still there, right? So righteousness is still righteousness. It hasn't changed. It's just that God imputes his righteousness. That is, he looks at you 
as righteous even before you are producing the righteousness that is needed. But my goodness, if we've been Christians for, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 50 years, and we're not producing any more righteousness than we were when we first became a Christian, we're failing. We're failures. And that is what the meaning of the word hamartia, sin, is. It means to fall short. That's why Romans 3.23 is the perfect really definition. It's the summation of what Paul has been talking about beginning in Romans chapter two, actually beginning in Romans 1.18. And he just talks about sin all the way down until it's essentially summed up in Romans 3.23, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody's really seeking God. Nobody's doing what they're supposed to do. You know, um, it's failure, right? And so you've, you know, surely have heard a preacher say this before. It's like taking aim at a target with a pistol or an arrow. And the arrow doesn't even, much less not hit the bullseye, it doesn't even hit the target, right? So God has a standard for us. And, um, but this doesn't mean that we are not to be pursuing that standard. That's, that's silly. That's nonsense. That's a misunderstanding of grace. Grace puts us in right standing with God, but he doesn't just leave us to ourselves. He gives us the Holy Spirit. So that right standing with God, together with a renewed nature, a different inside, a different heart, results in right action, right attitude, right speech. So I should be seeking to be a better person each and every day, right? Um, that's righteousness, right? And we're looking for the blessing that comes from the Lord. So if you're looking for people to like you, then you're going to find that you're not going to continue to be righteous because as I mentioned earlier, there are many things that Jesus taught, that the Bible teaches that people today don't want to hear. So if I'm just interested in making everybody else happy, then I'm going to beg off of these other topics. Nah, well, I don't know. And you see this, I am, I am, I guess I shouldn't be so astounded uh, that there are, increasing numbers, not of individuals, not only of individuals, but of churches that are leaving sexual morality behind that are just like, well, you know, we just don't know. You got books out there that are just reinterpreting the plain meaning of the text. Well, righteousness is righteousness. It's not, you know, the standard hasn't been lowered. It's been raised. That's because we now have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to help us to meet that standard, okay? So he says, have no fear of them. That is, have no fear of those that would oppose you because you are acting in a way that is right. Now, we can be self-righteous and that's not what we wanna see. Now, previously, that was the province of the religious. You know, self-righteous people were church people. Today, no, 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 no. It's these leftists. They're riding around on their high horses, pointing at everybody. Oh, how dare you? Because they've got their own set of ethics and morality and you don't measure up, you know? It's not about immorality, it's about marriage equality, you see? So you, you can't even have a discussion. You can't even say, you can't say homosexuality is sin, right? You have to be careful what you, know, what you say to people. So many of us have had to deal with divorce you know, um, 
And this is, I am not an advocate of somebody staying in an abusive relationship, but I'm just trying to show you that this is not, this is not God's plan. This is not what he wants. Um, but neither does he want someone staying in a relationship where they're, you know, getting abused and beat up and whatever. If, if that doesn't work, then, you know, there is a remedy for you to leave the spouse. But from Jesus teaching, you don't run out and get remarried. Now, you know, there's lots of discussion about, uh, about this and, and, you know, whether and when it's applicable and appropriate. Um, I'm just trying to help us to understand something that is even more accepted, that that's still not God's standard. We can't depart from the standard just because we've been through certain things and been hurt in certain ways. That doesn't mean we depart from God's standard. We still uphold that standard and we continue to come back to him and say, where I am now let me figure out what your will is for me and where do you want me to go? And what do you want me to do with my life now? And we stay with the word, right? But people would rather just change things. They were, well, the world's different now, but God isn't. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Jesus hasn't changed. God's standards have not changed our way of relating to God is different than the way the Jewish people related to God because we have the Messiah that thankfully uh, came through the, the Jewish people. So what do we do? We don't fear people. You might get threatened. There, there may come a time and I just, you know, I don't relish it. I don't look forward to it, but there may come a time when by doing what is right, you could potentially get ticketed, fined, arrested. I, I fully expect that that's, I mean, the rhetoric right now concerning homosexuality is so strong that I would not doubt that by just saying the things that I've said here tonight, I could be called a, you know, it could be called hate speech. Yeah. And then, and then you could be like, you have to take that down or, yeah. or, you, or, or you're going to be fine. Or you can't and, and I'm using that because it's a, it's, I don't refer to that all the time because I don't want to be a, you know, a, a one issue preacher by any means. I'm just trying to show something that has garnered such an immense amount of acceptability in a, really a relatively short period of time. Oh, yeah. But this is what happens when the Supreme Court comes out in favor of something. This is what happens when you have a president in Obama that strongly supports it. Now there's, there's not just an underpinning of social acceptance from certain segments or sectors of society, it's coming from the top. So you're, you know, you're not supposed to say these things. And what happens is we have the first amendment that guarantees free speech and the free exercise of religion, but you already have people in positions of power that want to curtail that, right? You already have examples on Facebook and on YouTube and on Twitter of these social media giants that you can't say that. They'll take your video down. Now, somebody like me that has, you know, 10 viewers or 50 viewers or something like that, I don't have anything to worry about. But once you get up there and you're into the millions or multi-millions of viewers, they will pull your stuff. So, you know, we just can't fear 
reprisals, retribution. We, we got to live uprightly. Okay. But notice he says, don't fear them. Don't be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. That's what I'm seeking to do all the time. Right. Sanctify Christ as Lord, set him apart as holy. I am concerned about pleasing the Lord, not people. That's what I've got to be concerned about. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to be obnoxious about it and self-righteous about it, um, holier than thou, sanctimonious about it. Not at all. Christ was humble. He was the suffering servant. But I honor him as the Lord, and that's why I'm simply not going to give in to these cultural pressures. You know, well, no, you need to do this. And if you're going to be nice, then you need to be nice to them. That's true. But being nice to you doesn't mean I agree with you. You know, um, I, I don't have to just parrot back what you say. Mm -hmm. That's right. And this is why, you know, I'll do that. And I've done this for a decade or so now where I will have you repeat something back. Uh, that I say in church, it's just to see if you're listening and paying attention. You know, if you want to know the truth, I don't really like that. I don't like say this and you say it. I, I'm, not, I'm not really fond of that. It's a tool, but it just reminds me of some of these protests where they're, they're marching around, blah, 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 bark, 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 bark. that's not yours if somebody else has to tell you to say it. You have to really pay attention, take it inside yourself, distill it, right? You know, let the, let the yeast work through the dough, get it in the oven, bake it, let it come out of some bread is different than dough. Who wants to eat dough? Cookie dough. Okay. I get that. Right. But, you know, just think about bread. I mean, it can smell good, right? Yes. But just think about, you know, cutting off a big old slice of dough. and It's horrible. Who wants dough, right? You got to mix it. Who wants, you know, pop some yeast in your mouth. Yeah, flour. Oh, yeah, that's a, ah, put some flour in my mouth, you know. I mean, milk and eggs, maybe, sure. But, you know, their foods are there. My point is, this all has to get mixed together. Right. And pushed down and kneaded and put in a pan and put in the oven. These ideas need to get into you. They need to become your ideas. I'm not saying bark back the exact same thing that I just said. I want you to consider this. I want you to let the Holy Spirit get it inside you. So that it, you own it. This is what you want from your kids. Otherwise, you know, of course, they're going to do what you tell them to do because it's a threat of punishment. But what are they like when they're out there on their own and nobody's watching? Exactly. What kind of character are you dealing with when you've got somebody who is, doesn't think anybody's watching? That's when you figure out whether or not this has really gotten inside and made the difference or not. It needs to make a difference in you. You need to own it. It needs to become your own morality, Right. So, you know, somebody says, well, that's, you know, that's what you believe. Of course, that's what I believe. But that doesn't mean that is not what you should believe. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I just in, invented these morals out of whole cloth. <laughs> like, I, honestly, if I were inventing these things, 
I don't care what people do in their bedroom. I don't care at all. I don't want to know. I'm not interested. All right. So if you, you know, you think that by mentioning these things regarding homosexuality, I have the slightest interest. No, I don't. No, I'm just, I'd rather just let you be you. You do that. Just don't expect me to, you know, jump up and down for you, whatever. But we can love each other. We can care for each other. We can advocate for each other as persons, you know, who have rights and privileges without agreeing with everything that each other does or says. I mean, my goodness, learn to agree to disagree. Exactly. It's okay. It's okay not to have the same idea. Well, we don't all have to think the same way. That's the beauty of the American experiment, which, by the way, is coming real close to failing right now. It's under pressure right now. And, you know, the politicians on both sides are just, you know, like I, I it's it's a it's an ugly thing when people step on the flag and burn the flag. Right. Does that mean I think they should go to jail for it? No, I don't. I really don't. OK, I'm not a fan of people who refuse or fail to uh, show respect when the national anthem is sung. But th does that mean that I hate somebody because they take a knee during the national anthem? No, really, I don't. Do I think that they should be forced to stand? I do not. You don't understand this country, this constitution. You don't understand the freedom that God has given us if you think everybody needs to be forced to do something, right? Personally, I'm not a Colin Kaepernick fan at all, right? I've got all sorts of names I could call that dude. I don't like him, all right? I don't know who he is. This is the, this is the, the former quarterback that started the oh. NFL kneeling business, oh, no. okay? <laughs> and he still has he still has, you know, nasty things to say. Um, but does that mean that I think that he should be thrown in jail for, for that? No, no, I don't. If the whole sideline of a particular NFL team wants to kneel during the national anthem, honestly, there's more respect in that than there is in some of these congressmen that, you know, while the national anthem is being, you know, done or, you know, the pledge or whatever, like on their phones, there's, that's, that's, That's no respect at all, right? They should, they should. At least these guys are trying to say something. They're trying to say, you know, there's some wrongs that need to be made right. And this is their way of calling attention to it, right? So I don't have to agree with them to respect them as people and to even respect their opinion, right? So I'm trying to take the opposite side that you would think than you would think I would take. So you will understand that you can agree to disagree with people. And you can even respect them for their opinions. And that's the kind of people we need to be, friends. All right. So he says, uh, what I need to be doing is honoring Christ as Lord in my heart. All right. And then here's the call to apologetics. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I need to be ready to give an answer for my faith. And the answer has to be more than, well, that's just what I believe. It has to be more than, well, that's what I was taught. I, I need to give, you know, it begins with a testimony. I need to give personal reasons, right? This is what the Lord has brought me through. 
this is this has been my experience with God, right? But also, I mean, I have led apologetics uh, classes in here and taught it on Sunday morning on various at, on various occasions, uh, helping you guys to have proofs for God's existence. Now, that's not to say that you're going to argue somebody into the kingdom, but what you can do is clear away all of the rocks that are in the road so that they can come to Christ. Okay. Because sometimes people have objections because they've just, Christ has been misrepresented to them. You know, um, they've never heard a good solid argument for the existence of God. Now I, I carried on about a year and a half or so uh, ongoing debate with a fellow online who I've mentioned this before, but uh, he and I used to have spirited debates when I went over to his house or his uh, daughter's house for Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? And he's an atheist, but we would have these respectful debates. But in the state we're in now, people don't have respectful debates. And I was even shocked that this guy was disrespectful to friends of mine, on Facebook and personally disrespectful to me. I'm sorry, I will debate you, I'll discuss with you, but you don't get to disrespect me. Oh, we just are not gonna talk, right? So I usually give people an opportunity and if there's no reconciliation forthcoming, then I just let them go, you know? And, you know, would I'd talk to that guy again. I'd, you know, do whatever I needed to do. The point is, um, we need to be ready to give an answer for our faith. I didn't see or, or think that I was going to win him over. But I thought by having these spirited debates that other people who were looking in and listening in, reading in, um, would, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. And they would, you know have a perspective and say, well, you know what? These Christians are not all just, well, that's just what I believe. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you don't believe the same way, you're going to hell. And we need to be a people who are, are prepared. Well, there are a number of resources that I would uh, recommend to you. Um, and um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of books on apologetics, but I'm just going to recommend a few. Um, I would recommend this fellow named William Lane Craig, because you can, watch debates that he's done with many different people on YouTube, William Lane Craig. You can remember Craig because of our own yeah. pastor Craig, right? Exactly. And uh, so if you want to watch debates, um, he's a brilliant guy. And he usually gives the same reasons for God's existence in all of these debates. And he presents them very clearly. Um, he's written a He's written a really a master's level text, which I taught in here on Wednesday night in 2010, called A Reasonable Faith. But there's a more simple version of those same arguments for churches called On Guard, just like On Guard, you know that? On Guard by <laughs> William Lane Craig. Uh, then I would recommend Lee Strobel 
and all of his case for series, a case for faith, a case for Christ, a case for the real Jesus, a case for uh, the case for a creator. And what he does is he was a journalist. And so he goes out and he interviews all of these different people. And his writing style is very readable. It's very engaging. And so I can recommend uh, Lee Strobel. And then the old standby, of course, is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which C.S. Lewis is, is in another galaxy of intellect from most people. So this was C.S. Lewis's effort at being very accessible, but it still could be somewhat difficult for, well, then the other thing is it was written, uh, actually it was a series of radio addresses. It wasn't originally written at all. Radio addresses that he gave um, right about the time of the war. And he was being very accessible and understandable to Brits during that time frame. But, you know, different culture, we think differently and so forth. But it's still, it's a brilliant book. It, it really, really is. And then there's a book by Timothy Keller. And you can pray for Timothy Keller right now. He just uh, came down with pancreatic cancer. But he is uh, the pastor of a church in uh, Manhattan, in New York. I think it's on, in Manhattan. It's in New York City. And, uh, but uh, he's had, a, he's had a, a great ministry among a lot of doubters. And this book by Timothy Keller is called uh, Reason for God. Very simple, Reason for God. So there you go, On Guard by William Lane Craig, The Case for the Case for series by Lee Strobel, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and Reason for God by Timothy Keller. We are told here by the apostle that we need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. So a lot of times someone may ask you a question. You may not have the answer. Be honest about that. Say, you know what? I don't know. Let me get back to you on that. Do some research. So uh, a lot of times what has driven me to uh, greater heights as far as apologetics is concerned uh, has been being in debates with people. Uh, so uh, Craig, uh, Craig's stepdad uh, who passed away uh, in 2000. Uh, his name was Bill Cotrer. Uh This is uh, Sue's former husband. Was just a really, really smart fella. And um, he would bring up questions that would really, really make me have to think. And this got me to looking at issues related to the Big Bang and creation and evolution and all these sorts of things. Um, and so... It was the, as the result of having discussions with him that I was driven to greater heights uh, regarding apologetics and understanding um, the created order and, and, you know, how God might have gone about that. So there's another fellow I can recommend if you want to approach apologetics from that angle. Uh, his name is Hugh Ross, R-O-S-S, -S, Hugh Ross. And um, he's got a great book called Why Things Are the Way They Are. And he's talking about, no, why the universe is the way it is. I think that's what it's called. Why the universe is the way it is. And he just goes into a lot of detail about the fine tuning of the universe. And it's just brilliant stuff. But, you know, he's been writing books since way back, you know, 20 years ago when I was having these discussions and debates with Bill. But the reason that I originally got the book, Hugh Ross, and he has got, uh, he's got a website that's really good as well. Um, Reasons.org, I believe, is his website. Reasons.org. Um, 
Hugh Ross, R-O-S-S. What was Why the Universe Is the Way It Is. And uh, the book that I originally got back in 99, I think, or maybe 98, maybe even 97, uh, is called The Fingerprint of God. And, um, and then, uh, actually, that's, that's his first book. The, the book that I got was, was called The Creator and the Cosmos. That's what it was called, The Creator and the Cosmos. So in, in any event, what I'm trying to say is, as a result of, of getting into discussions and debates with people, um, I was forced to go seek out answers. And Bill was another example of somebody who was, who was very respectful and respectable, even though he didn't agree with me and I didn't agree with him. Mm-hmm. But we could sit down and have these great conversations. You know, why can't we do that anymore? Why is everybody so angry about everything and so offended about everything? We can't just have a talk. We can't agree to disagree about these issues, you know? Really? So we could learn a whole lot about each other by paying attention, you know? Uh, so if I'm going to be an apologist, and that's what this is called, apologetics, giving a reason for it. sounds like I'm apologizing, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. You know, I hope you'll forgive me. No, it's, it's a different, it comes from the same uh, original word. But it, it means to give a reason, right? To give an answer. And that's what we're told we need to do, to be willing, ready, able to give an answer for our faith. And when I do that, I'm going to be gentle, right? So listen to what it says. Do it with gentleness and respect. Now, I've seen, and if you watch any of these videos that I'm talking about with William Lane Craig, you're going to see that there are people that just treat him disrespectfully. And some of, some of them are people that you would think, you know, based on their, their status and their intellect and whatever, that they wouldn't do something like that. And yet uh, he debated a renowned, uh, oh gosh, physicist, I think the guy is, who uh, it was a series of, of debates that he did. Uh, and I think they were all done in Australia, even though neither William Lane Craig nor this other fella are from Australia. Um, but this guy and during one of his debates had one of those air horns that you would see at like a soccer game or a football game. They're so loud. You're splitting loud in the middle of Dr. Craig's speaking. This guy would blow that air horn. It is the singularly most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. It would tempt me to stop speaking, walk over and slap it out of his hand. <laughs> Not slap him, but slap it out of his hand and then go and quit, you know, finish. But William Lane Craig keeps his cool. He keeps speaking. He continues to be respectable and respectful. And see, there's just people that, that they just, they love it. They think everything is a WWE or a UFC match. You know, it's big time wrestling. Yeah. Okay. My guy beat up your guy. You're not thinking, you're not using your brain. You know, you're looking at, they might as well just put boxing gloves on and just pound on each other. But that's not what we're doing. Your point is not try to listen. This is a, this is a good point to make. And I'll conclude with this. What you're seeking to do is not win an argument, but win a person. And sometimes in order to win a person over, you may have to forego the rest of the argument. You may have to say, you know what? And I don't even say this this out loud to the person, but I may say this to myself. We're not ready to have this discussion right now. 
So I'm just going to be kind and courteous and leave it at that and wait for the opportunity. Because I believe that a big part of winning a person over, because I can win an argument (laughs) and lose the person because I've made them look like the fool that they are. And so they don't want to have anything to do with me anymore because I made them look like a fool. Well, the reality is it's what you're hanging on to that makes you look like a fool. And I don't have to call them a fool for them to feel like that. And then they don't want to have anything to do with me anymore. That's not what Jesus wants. He doesn't want me to go out and prove myself right. That's arrogance. That's just two people, you know, being selfish. No, what I need to do is I need to seek to win that person. And that means that I need to look for the right timing. And that requires wisdom. I need the right words. And that's been promised. The Holy Spirit will give me the words. That's what Jesus said. He said, don't, Jesus said, don't even plan ahead what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. But that means I need to have the kind of relationship with God where I'm interacting with him on a regular basis. And the Holy Spirit is filling me and overflowing me and speaking through me. I need to have the right timing. I need to have the right words and I need to have the right attitude. And that's how I'm going to win a person over. But I'm told right here, make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So if I go away from a debate with someone and I just feel like, man, you know, I was really mean to them then I might've won the debate, but not only did I likely lose the person, but if I lose God's respect for me, then it wasn't God that was speaking through me. See, I can speak the truth, but not in love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a person like anybody else. So I, I don't like it when people are, are foolish and, you know, especially when they're, they're disrespectful to me or to the Lord or to his word. And it can really get under my skin and make me want to just bite back at them. But I have to resist that temptation. Right. He says, then having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So in other words, I may be slandered by somebody that's out here, but everybody else that's watching is going, mm, 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 mm. So this guy that was blowing his air horn might have gotten the cheers from, you know, his his lackeys in the audience. Mm-hmm. OK. But, how many more people saw him? but anybody that's paying attention to that, even if they agree with that guy. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that other scholars didn't have respect for that. People that are reasonable, even if they don't agree with that person. uh, uh-uh. They're like, no, that's. You just made yourself into a fool. So whatever that guy would have to say, he's lost my respect. I'm uninterested, right? So if I'm going to look at an atheist who has his uh, ideas and his opinion, I'm going to look to somebody else who's more respectful and respectable, right? So when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's a good verse to memorize, Right? Sometimes it is God's will to suffer, but I don't want to be suffering because of something foolish that I said or that I did. I want to suffer because it's the Lord's will. Okay. 
All right, wonderful. I'm so excited that you guys joined me via Zoom. Uh, some of you jumped in and uh, that's awesome. Very, very cool. Blessings to you guys. Jacob, I'm excited you're getting out tomorrow. Magdalena, good to see you. Janice, I see your picture of you and your mom there. Uh, so hope you guys are blessed. And uh, yeah, God bless you guys. Appreciate you.